welcome to another episode of 353rd. I'm Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, there's been some major kerfluffles <laughs> in the Bitcoin e- ecosystem over the last month yeah, or month. so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You so must be talking about the, the Hernado. That's right. So a guy named Mike Kern, who uh, was on the Bitcoin core team. No, he wasn't. Decided to, he wasn't. No, he's 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 very close to the core team, but he would not be considered a core team member. Oh, that's right, because the his dispute was with yes. said core team. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So the so anyway, this guy Mike Hearn uh, writes writes an article and on Medium posts it uh, about his the fact that he is leaving Bitcoin forever, uh, complete disillusionment. And it caused quite the stir. Yes, and, Bitcoin uh, as Bitcoin an experiment, experiment to, has failed. Is, yeah, that's is what he said. That's right. Yes, and it uh, it caused the price of Bitcoin eventually to drop, and all sorts of craziness happened. So I thought it'd be good. We talk a lot on this show about Bitcoin. We always have, just because it's Bitcoin and blockchain uh, are really in the last five years probably the most interesting and novel tech that we've seen so we spend a lot of time talking about it That's but tell true. us uh, you spend a lot of time on the inside with your with your current post at circle and so tell us about tell us about what happened and the implications and all of that sort of fill everybody in sure so uh, first of all i have to mention that uh when this happened uh, you know ten thousand of my closest friends all you know, said so. Anders, do you do you have a job anymore? <laughs> oh, that's so fun. <laughs> so, yeah. So, th- so that was emblematic of the overreaction that that happened. So, there was a post on Medium. There was also a story in the New York Times about it, and there were, you know, it hit all kinds of different media. Um, yeah, Fred. I remember Fred Wilson wrote about it. I think a, yeah, a yeah. day or two after the article hit, because he's a he's always been a big supporter, and they do a lot of investing in that space. Yeah, that's true. So um, <clears throat> it's important to put this in perspective. So this is so Mike Hearn is uh, is great developer. He's a fantastic guy, actually. Uh, he wrote Bitcoin J. Um, I believe when he was at Google and then continued it out of Google. And Bitcoin J is an implementation of the Bitcoin protocol. And uh, in it happens to be, strangely enough, given the name, in the language Java. So he, you know, was pretty close to what, what was going on. Obviously, if you've written a, you know, from ground up implementation of Bitcoin, you're going to be pretty connected to what's going on. So he, for whatever reason, decided to go out with a flare here and say that Bitcoin has, as an experiment, has failed and, and this and that. And, and I think the disillusionment comes from a lot of things. You know, what he's, what he's doing here is trying to uh, extra, extract himself from a situation that, I mean, the guy was getting death threats. The guy is, you know, was being beaten up no matter what position he took on the, uh, the governance slash block size debate. It just being kind of 
run through the meat grinder, and I think he just had enough of it. And there are two ways to go out. One is to silently bow out, and the other is to do what he did. Yeah, so he chose the latter. He chose the latter, and, and it uh, unfortunately had a bunch of repercussions in the market in terms of the price and, and uh, a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, Bitcoin, is that still here? Uh, I guess, uh, you know, I guess that that whole thing is over. And then, you know, just but just go back in history and see what happened. So, you know, the price recovered. Everything is right back. This was a, a whole lot of nothing. Uh, so what was his beef? Well, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is, you've got what's happening. It's important to understand the block size debate right now. So the, uh, the problem in Bitcoin is you, you can only do a certain number of transactions per second. Let's put it somewhere around three or four or something like that per second continually, given the normal transaction size these days, that's not going to approach anywhere near the thousand a second that you might get on a visa or MasterCard network. It's just, laughably low for a person to person, you know, payment processing system in the real world. Uh, so there have been a number of attempts to address this. And in the past, possibly one of the ways to do it would have been picked. And the world w- we would have gone on just as, as, you know, happy go lucky as we always have been, except for the fact that, uh, it it implies if somebody is picking it, somebody is controlling Bitcoin. Um, so it, it's a kind of funny project. Here's a open source project that oh, and by the way, also has a you know five billion dollar ecosystem tied to it. So it's it's a little you know it can't just work like a normal uh, open source project where you would have a couple of core developers and they make a decision and then that's it. Because technically in Bitcoin, the power relies with the miners, what the miners decide to do is where the network is going to go. Even if the, the uh, core developers decide to go off in one direction, if the miners don't, you know, pick that code up and start running it, then it's not going to happen. So you, you have maybe what you would consider a crisis of confidence. If, uh, if that were to happen now, of course the miners are not stupid and because they, they get paid as they mine, right? So they don't want to be mining a Bitcoin blockchain that is not the real chain or they don't want to, you know, upset the gravy train as it was because they have significant hardware investment, this kind of thing. So they don't want to, you know, upset the Apple cart. So they're not going to, you know, step out and put a foot forward and say, I'm putting my foot down. We are changing this, that and the other thing essentially making the block size bigger so that we can uh, process more transactions per block per 10 minute period. Uh, They're not going to do that because it's going to threaten their bottom line. They wouldn't do that unless all of them did that together. Um, And the developers, the current um, leadership of development is not taking a stand either. They are not saying that we are going to do this, and uh, so you have your your deadlock that we're in right now. Um, the decision not to make a decision is, of course, a decision, and kind of pushes Bitcoin to be a settlement network. In other words, a small number of large value transactions. 
moving to uh, as opposed of, to a transaction network, right? We're moving to one of you know many many different proposals to uh, to turn this into a you know a much higher transaction network, which would be a payment you know like a payment network. So uh, it's kind of a crisis of of you know which which one is it going to be maybe in one sense but in reality to boil all of this down it has nothing to do with the block size it has nothing to do with the number of transactions etc and it has everything to do with who has the right who has the power to say this is what will happen with bitcoin going forward it is a governance problem right and uh, that was uh in reading mike hearn's post his beef was really to take it up a up a level. His beef was really with how decisions are being made, not necessarily the decisions themselves. His beef was yes. with the core team uh-huh. and the fact that he disagreed philosophically and practically with the direction that the core team was taking. It'd be interesting to talk a little bit about how a project like this, which is an open source project, like how is it run? Yeah. Uh, so how did you, from your understanding, how does the core team, so generally what happens in big open source projects is that you have, and this would be the case with, you know, Linux or, <clears throat> excuse me, any, any major open source project, you have a core team that's more or less responsible for the architectural decisions and all the big, big decisions that get made mm-hmm. in the course of the, of the, of the life of a project. And in this case, there were what, four, Four guys on the on the core team. I can't yeah, remember five. I think, but yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, there's a core team that's responsible for saying taking input from the community and then eventually making, uh, in some cases, tough calls about what direction the project should go. And what Mike Hearn was saying basically was that the core team that's making these decisions on on Bitcoin was. Uh, he didn't agree with where they were going. Is that a fair summation of his post? Yeah, that's right. Right. So the core team, uh, well, the team, I guess, uh, the, 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 the first guy on the list, we'll say, is Vladimir Vanderlaan. So, well, let's go step back a second. Started with this uh, person or people called Satoshi Nakamoto. I think it's a person. Right. That, that no one's ever known, for sure. That's right. That power then, or the, the control of the project, was handed over to Gavin Andreessen. Uh, Gavin Andreessen has uh, handed the project to Vladimir, uh, and Gavin remains the, the basically the chief scientist, you know, the, the data scientist, or, or, you know, he's kind of uh, graduated, I guess. Uh, there are others, Peter Wool, Corey Fields, uh, Gregory Maxwell, there's a, a bunch, right, that are kind of the top contributors and, and what you would consider the core developers of the original Bitcoin core stack. Uh, so that's the group. Uh, and the, the decision not to make a decision, I suppose, is Vladimir's. Um, so that's where we are. And so what's the, aside from the What's interesting for me is that there was this when Bitcoin came on the scene, there was this uh, the story that was often told was that it would be impermeable to market for not market forces, but 
to, uh, yeah, that, to, it, that it would have these, it would be impermeable to the fluctuations of human nature, like most markets are. So, I, I, if there's a, if there's I, a, uh, I wouldn't say impermeable. Um, I would say, well, but it was less, less, less yeah. reactive. Yes. Maybe impermeable is too strong of a word. Yeah. But the the idea was that it, there would, because there was consensus, te- technical consensus, that it would not fluctuate wildly on based on the whims of human emotion. And what was interesting to watch with this is that it still has some of the characteristics of the U.S. dollar or any other uh, fiat currency where you have, uh, you have uh, both market and human. I guess those are probably the same thing on some level. But uh, the price of Bitcoin started to drop precipitously just because somebody started questioning it in public. And it's not unlike how runs on the you know runs on the stock market take place or did take place at least um, those still take where place. somebody where yeah. somebody would post some article about uh, you know the economy is going you know unemployment is X and the market reacts violently or something mm-hmm. like that and so it was really just uh, what happened with the price of Bitcoin was somewhat irrational and i think that's what you were saying earlier is because nothing really changed yeah. uh, when you wrote this there wasn't some it wasn't like the mount gox thing where uh where something actually you know one of the major uh one of the major points on the network actually failed it was just a guy rendering his opinion on the future and the whole thing started to unwind relatively quickly. It was pretty interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it's not unusual from uh, from a historical standpoint to what happens in Bitcoin. There are a lot of things that, that make the price wildly, wildly fluctuate uh, to the tune of several hundred percent in years. Uh, so it's, it's not a... Um, uh, you know, too unusual in the in the Bitcoin world. I mean, you have to you have to know, notice that it's coming, kind of stay ahead of it, and do these kinds of things. But you know, all in all, it's not a um, it's kind of a blip on the radar. Yeah, um, but 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 it's shocking. So what's you know? the, what's been the yeah? Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say it's 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 shocking that to to uh, people who are not sort of uninitiated, right? It's like a it's like, well, what's going on here? I, I thought well, this was this was happening. Is this not happening? I mean, so you can understand it, um, you know. And if you if you <laughs> if you know what you're doing, you're playing kind of the long game. Um, you you can you could have made a bunch of money, kind of picking up some Bitcoin on that um, on that dip. Right. I mean, volatility is is. It's going. It's we're still in a period of high volatility relative. Oh, to, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what was the what was the long and what's the outcome of Mike Hearn's posting? And what do you feel like? Uh, are there changes coming with the core team or how the project is governed? What's been the what's been the shake out? So, <clears throat> I don't. I, nothing concrete yet. I would say it's definitely uh, you know helped reframe the debate in some ways in some people's minds but it's not like um it's not a like a like a uh, there's we're not to a a moment where we know what um 
you know, what ultimately will happen here. I think, uh, so in the scaling debate, there've been a, a couple of back and forths, you know, from the perspective of a developer, um, uh, not a miner. It's, it's, uh, you know, what, what was going to be done and what was being proposed and, and all of these kinds of things were, you know, they're, they're all driven by developers. It's all coming from developers. So it's kind of like you're sitting in an echo chamber. And then there were two, uh, two scaling Bitcoin, uh, you know, basically project or, or uh, conferences that attempted to bridge the divide and bring developers into the same room with miners. The last one was in Hong Kong. Uh, which is not surprisingly where most of the miners are. They're in that area of the world uh, because there's a lot of power and there's a lot of chip manufacturing capacity and, um, you know, it's just where the miners are. So uh, they kind of got in the room together and, and that was really great. I mean, the, they, I think both realized that there are rational people on both sides of you know, the interest spectrum and, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of good cross pollinization was done there. Uh, what, whether it's going to work out in a certain way or another, not clear yet, but there's definitely a lot stronger, uh, connection between the, the two previously totally dis you know, uh, disassociated groups. Um, so I'm pretty optimistic that, uh, we'll, we'll move to something, you know, probably in the, probably one of the options that's a two megabyte block, which would double the size. Um, and then there are a couple of other things, some of which have already, uh, been, you know, on the process of getting into core, which would be, um, this concept of segregated witness where you, you knock out, um, you know, some of the weight of transactions. So you could get more transactions in the same block size, um, without losing anything significant. Um, so, so there's, there's some, you know, I, I think we'll get a hybrid approach as an answer and, uh, it's not quite clear exactly, you know, what will happen. But, uh, you know, if I were to bet, I would say, you know, probably a two meg block size and, um, yeah, a couple of other, couple of other things, which, which exactly are unclear, but that'd be my guess. What does this expose in terms of, uh, when you're really dealing with, I know the, I know, uh, the blockchain is not just a financial transaction system. What do you think, think this does in terms of, uh, having what effectively is a very small group of people, uh, controlling a project that has this much money at stake. Uh, how do you feel like that has, does that have to change in order for uh, Bitcoin to persist kind of mainstream at some point? Does it have to be more widely governed? Is there regulatory control of it in some way? It seems like there's a, this, uh, though it's an open source project and you can fork it, the reality is that because of all the processing that's happening, on the main trunk of the project, you really have a fairly high concentration of power amongst the core team. Uh, um, so how do you feel like that gets addressed? This, I feel like this whole episode exposed uh, uh, some kind of flaw in the project where uh, you, ha <clears throat> you really have a core team that's got a ton of say 
over how the project goes forward. Is there another kind of governance that needs to come alongside this, or how do you see that? Yeah, so so that's that's an excellent question and a great analysis. I think the uh, way that this ultimately needs to go is like you have to look at the other standards organizations that are out there. I mean, Bitcoin needs a, like a like a like a standards body almost, almost uh, like an ISO. Yeah, kind of yeah, body or or? WC three or whatever. Now, okay. these, if you dive into these things, they're they're also highly dysfunctional. I mean, there's yeah, no politicized. Yeah, and all of that. yeah, it really is. But um, uh, something similar to that needs to be done, and there needs to be representation of in the, from the regulatory world, from the uh, the miners, and from the developers, and you know, there has to be. Uh, a forum for them to kind of give and take and figure out what what can be done because it's not just uh, software code that you're writing it actually has value attached to it so uh, so something like that has to happen and in order for that to happen you need a um, you know like a Jimmy Wales to Wikipedia or not not yeah. really not really you, you need a leader of the uh, standards organization that's a very very special Specifics, very special type of a person that's going to lead that effort and get that done. Yeah, because it's really not a technical position at all. It's really a political position no, exactly, almost. Exactly. Where you've got to be able to build consensus and uh, and bring these parties together, get them to yeah. agree on a path forward. It's really a and it feels like you I don't know if you need a you know Linus Torvalds or something like that. Like right. somebody like that who's yeah got mm-hmm. the ability to pull the whole community together uh, in a way that I think allays the fears of you know the common man so yeah, to speak exactly. uh, around the whole thing yeah so it can't be <clears throat> it can't be one of the developers being glorified and turning turning into that right right uh, it it's got to almost be somebody that you know some benevolent dictator <laughs> from the outside that says look Here's here. I see. I understand your concerns and desires, and where your interests are. And he looks at that and all the other, uh, uh, you know, interest groups, right? And then just lays out a a framework, and then you know uh, uh, manages it without, um, you know, without like <laughs> being corrupted. I don't know. It's a. It, it's yeah. it'd be a very very difficult position as you can see uh, because you you do need to be a dictator in the sense that you need to say this is the way we need to set this framework up so that it works and then you need to step back and not you know n- not interfere with uh you need to make sure everybody has a seat at the table but you you cannot run over their conversation you cannot you know uh uh you kind of have to do what George Washington did, right? Here is a guy that came in and, and he could have, he could have owned the, the United States pretty much, but he, he decided to kind of remove himself and step down and, and, you know, create this framework that allowed somebody else to come in and, and there to be continuance. So that, that person needs to, to show up and it's going to be, you know, it's an incredibly difficult job. You have to, get everybody comfortable with that fact that somebody's going to lay out a framework and then we're all going to kind of, you know, argue about how it works and then agree eventually. And this person is not going to give us everything we want and they won't give the other people everything that they want. We have to trust that they're benevolent. I mean, you have to get like a, 
like yeah, like Alanis Torvalds or you know Tim Berners Lee or, or some somebody yeah. <laughs> to come yeah, in. Yeah, I think that's that'd be interesting. The you know Tim Berners Lee or somebody like that who's really got. They almost need. I think they do need no stake in the outcome. Yeah, right. Exactly. Which like is going to be, be any really be extremely difficult. Yeah, uh, but it's almost like a like a George Mitchell or somebody like that who's was a Secretary of State and yeah. understands diplomacy, which is really what this is. It's That's not right, nation yeah. state diplomacy, but it's really going to be organizational diplomacy. Yeah, and 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 somebody who understands the ramifications of decisions in the financial system and. It's a it's a tall order, but yeah. I feel like that person at some point emerges, uh, n- not necessarily naturally, but I think there's somebody uh, who could take that role uh, and start to build of what this organization really needs to be going forward. So before we before we get off this uh, the, uh, the topic of of Bitcoin and and all of the fun that we always have talking about it. You've been you've been knocking around with yet another yes. cryptocurrency. So let's talk about that. Yes. So there there's a whole you know all this promise about what you can do with Bitcoin with uh, with smart contracts and we can make uh, essentially little escrow uh, uh, systems that that kind of self execute. Um, and, and wouldn't this be great and, and all of this, but the fact of the matter is Bitcoin's, um, you know, the language used to write these contracts to, to be the smart and the programmable part of currency, uh, are purposefully not very developed, uh, for performance reasons. So wouldn't it be great if we had a uh, you know a way that we could just take Bitcoin and we could make it uh, be able to execute smart contracts, be able to uh, you know with a much more feature rich uh, set of you know basically a much more feature rich uh, API or language. Wouldn't so when you great? say smart contracts, uh, explain yeah. what you mean by that. So uh, they're they're little programs, right? And they're uh, they. They facilitate like an like an automated uh, performance. So, uh, you know, I'll use the the escrow example. So, if if I wanted to buy a car from you, we'll say it's uh, you know a thousand dollars, ten thousand uh, dollars. This is great. I have a ten thousand dollars. You have a car, but what do we do? I mean, the car is is there, and then. I have ten thousand dollars. At at some point, you got to give me the keys, and I got to give you. So we got to like do this. What ideally should be an atomic swap, where where one instant I have the money, and the next instant I have the key, and I can't like mess that up. Or we have to go use an escrow agent, right? So that's what escrow agents were always used for. You you know I. I give the money to the escrow agent. The escrow agent says, I have the money. You can give him the keys. So you give me the keys. And then I say, okay, I have the keys. And then that releases the money to you. Um, problem is, of course, the escrow agent runs away with the money. You have, in other words, both of us have to trust the escrow agent. So why, why don't we set up a contract here where if uh, you know you put the power to turn the car on or off into the contract. In other words, the car has some kind of a capability, uh, 
to to turn on or not actually yeah, not, that's a not, kill switch or effectively yeah yeah that's yeah. not absolutely necessary but you know and maybe in an ideal world it is it sure. that's the way it is the car um, won't run without some without, without this some. being signed it Fair. will only it will only run to the person who to whom the car is uh assigned so if i can prove that i have the private key that this car is assigned to i can drive the car that's the ideal case. You know, maybe we don't do that initially because that's not the norm for cars. Um, so I put the I put the money in. You can tell that there's money there. Uh, I of course um, apply. I push the money in because I want the car. So I've, I'm essentially signing this contract. You're not going to sign the contract because you don't. You know, uh, sorry, I'm. <clears throat> I'm not going to sign the contract because I don't want the money to go to you because I don't have gotten the car yet. You sign the mm-hmm. contract immediately because you want the money. You give me the car. I look at the car. Okay, it's good. I apply my signature. The money goes to you. Now, of course, you know, you give me the car. It's a lemon. I'm like, well, I want my money back. Uh, that's the first time we would go and get a uh, what the, traditionally the escrow agent would be used for, but what is really just a dispute resolution service. We would go to this arbitration arbitration. Right. And then they would make a determination and they would either push the money to you or push the money back to me, whichever notably in this smart contract, there's no way for them to steal the money. They they only have the power to push it one way or another and they don't have a vested interest. So uh, it's a, it's a generally a good system. So that's, an example of what a smart contract is. You can kind of do that in that one in Bitcoin, but there are many much more complicated ones that you just can't do. Um, You know, most, uh, most uh, legal contracts. I mean, you click through things, you don't even read it. You know, there, most legal contracts are actually never uh, really enforced because as long as the two parties, you know, are reasonably satisfied they don't go to court and and uh, test these contracts. So we could say many, many contracts are written. A very, very small percentage actually go to court and get executed, right? Like, right. like yep. followed. Um, yep. So wouldn't it be great if, if, you know, kind of software did the disinterested uh, contract uh, execution work? Uh, this is a, a program is, is does not have an allegiance to me or you. It's just going to follow the code and it'll follow it just, you know, on this computer, uh, just exactly the same as another computer somewhere else would follow it. Um, so what we're really saying is wouldn't it be great if Bitcoin, instead of being just this financial system, was actually like this giant virtual machine. And it would be very inefficient. But, you know, because many, many computers would probably be processing exactly the same thing and coming, arriving at exactly the same answer. But that is still very valuable. That's still very important. So wouldn't it be great if such a thing exists? Such a thing does exist. It's called Ethereum. And it has its version of Bitcoin or, or uh, you know, value token. They call it gas or ether. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's a blockchain and there's, uh, there are blocks that are generated at a much faster pace. Uh, and you have this much more feature-rich language. You can write these uh, programs. And they essentially, you know, it's essentially a giant virtual machine where there are many, many nodes that all are capable of processing 
uh, things. And we'll all, you know, presumably if they're honest nodes, come up with the same answer to everything, uh, to, to the same set of inputs. So if we, uh, so I don't have to trust any one computer. I'm kind of trusting that, you know, the, the, uh, the majority in the, the system will, you know, execute these things right. We'll execute these things correctly. Um, so, uh, you know, I've gotten very interested, of course, uh, for a number of reasons, one of which is, well, it's just, you know, it's very easy to play with this. It just exists and you can uh, uh, mock something up and get something working pretty easily. Um, but for the other reason, uh, which is the fact that the value token, Ether, in the Ethereum network, uh, has been appreciating in value uh, against the dollar or against Bitcoin uh, pretty significantly in the last uh, you know month or so, the last few weeks. So uh, it's been it's been fun because I, I I know that the value will go way down and will crash and it'll just be probably more volatile than than Bitcoin, but. Uh, and for the long term, I think it's exceedingly interesting what you can do with this. So I think in the long term, uh, there is a there is a utility to this, and so therefore there is a value. Um, there is utility to having some ether to be able to uh, essentially pay for running programs in this network. Um, and and I think uh, right now it's about. $2.40 or so for one of these things. And granted, there are many, many more of these than there are Bitcoin, and there is not an, a limited supply. Uh, but there is, there is immediate value um, that, that you have with uh, being able to run things on the network. So I, I don't know. It's really interesting. It's kind of got all the, all the, it seems like the early days again. Uh, Ethereum has been around for a number of years. It's not like brand new, but um, it has... Uh, it has been gaining in uh, its maturity, right? My, the lo a long time ago, my problem with it was it was just, you know, you couldn't do anything. It was way too immature. Uh, but that has that has definitely been, you know, been solved so far. Um, so, yeah. So, in the, in the case of your of me selling you my car, would we each have to pay some ether? into the network to facilitate that transaction? Is that the cost of getting the transaction done inside the yeah, network? Yeah, it is. It would be a trivial cost, much much like the fact that uh, when you're on the Bitcoin network, in order to do a transaction, you you generally pay a fee if you want it to right. settle anytime reasonably. Right. Um, it's, it's a few pennies. It's not much. Uh, but yes, you do. And, and who pays that fee? would be up to you and I. Yeah. Um, so it could be just like when we, you know, when you buy a house, it could be the buyer pays the fees or the seller pays the fees or exactly. we both pay them equally. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So do you think that uh, uh, there was always, as you said at the beginning of, uh, of all this, you said you know, the Bitcoin was always, there was always the capability to do some of this uh, with the original blockchain. So did Ethereum come out of the the Bitcoin blockchain project or what's its origin? So the idea did. So, so okay. there, there are many, many virtual currencies, as you would imagine. There's only like, you know, two or three of any value. There's Bitcoin, which is the 800 
million pound gorilla, you know, 95% of the value. Um, and then there, there was Litecoin in number two, uh, but that has been usurped by Ethereum uh, recently. I mean, it goes back and forth, but, but that's, you know, basically been the case. And they all share the core, uh, which, is a, which is a blockchain and some kind of a value token. Uh, those two things together, and you know, and, and generally, there's some some kind of a mining you have to do. It may be based on proof of work, like Bitcoin is. It may be based on other things, proof of stake, um, in order to uh, to to kind of keep the network going or, or make build the blockchain, right? So that's a, a core part of it. And so, essentially, what you could say is the idea. Uh, a virtual currency is kind of what everybody is excited about. Bitcoin is a, is a very valuable implementation of it. Uh, and, and it proves that this whole thing works. And indeed, it was the first. But uh, it, it is not the only. And there are a lot of other people um, taking the core idea behind it and going from there. So it's just taking the idea and and building upon it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about uh, the... For me, it's interesting to think about the the idea that com- computers can effectively uh, do the work of that arbitrator or the escrow service and do it far more reliably. And so if you think about the ramifications of the real world ramifications of what you're t- talking about, it's really that both of us agreeing to a contract that's easily understandable, that's reliably executable. And uh, and does not have sort of the vagary of human nature attached to it. Um, it's interesting to think about how the, that how that eventually works its way into everyday life, where we start to trust these kinds of systems instead of written law, if you will. They kind yeah. of become their own version of written law. Almost. Yeah, you're right. Like they- you and I get to you and I get to write. Uh, law. We, we get to write law that can yeah. be enforced just between you and me. Yeah. Or if we write a really good one, uh, yeah. if you and I create a really good car sale contract, yeah. we can then leverage that. Maybe we can sell it on this network and say, hey, use this contract. And we know that it works. And it's been proven. And here's the stats. It's been proven. We've sold a million cars using this contract. Yeah. It's interesting to think about how the market place starts to be able to create all of these new and interesting kinds of contracts without necessarily an attorney being involved or anything like that. It's really just two people agreeing. Yeah, that's right. And, and that is a very valuable thing. Uh, in the, uh, the developed world, that may not seem like, uh, you know, earth shattering. It may not seem earth shattering, but it is valuable that you can look at this contract and know what it does and be sure with cryptographic assurance that it will execute in this way and not some other hidden way. Uh, and I can do the same. And we don't have to rely on a possibly uh, politicized, um, uh, you know, kind of adjudication process. Uh, to 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 get this thing, you know, if this thing goes south, we, we we it will execute the way it is designed. Now, that's not to say it replaces the court system. Sure. Of course, you know, if 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 a contract goes bad or, or you have a dispute or whatever, maybe things change. Uh, there's still a role for for courts, but for the most part, 
uh, for most of these transactions. They are, it's kind of table stakes. It should be table stakes to be able to just run them. Now, looking in the developed world, that's not like the most enormous thing. But think about living in a developing country that doesn't have a reliable legal system, that doesn't have reliable, maybe the, the politicians are, are very corrupt or whatever. Um, it, it, it creates this really strange phenomenon where money flows uphill, it makes no sense, right? Investment yep. flows uphill. It goes from developing nations to developed nations. Why is that? The reason is because there's a, a good legal system uh, up the hill and money wants safety and safety and trust and, and all of these things are, are what the developing nations uh, don't yet have or don't have as much as others up. So the money strangely flows uphill. You would imagine the money should flow from the developed nations down to fund the developing nations because that's where it's needed most. That's where it will be right. most and useful. And there's more, but candidly, there's more upside, right? In a there's developing... a lot more upside, <laughs> right? But the problem but, is but it, there's not a legal yeah, system. Not trust, there's not a, yeah. right, there, there are huge, there's enormous corruption or, or, you know, whatever the problem is. So this idea in particular, smart contracts are a way for the legal system to, uh, you know, to either not matter Right or or this to replace uh, most of what goes on. So for small transactions, right? This should be this should be able to totally replace now as a as a merchant coming out of a uh, you know an isolated uh, underdeveloped area. I am able to effectively plug into the global economic system and. Uh, operate uh, as as you know anyone else with the uh, the trust that everyone else in the world enjoys. I mean that's an enormous enormous benefit. Um, yeah. Well, and if you think about what I like about your car example, and I think it it illustrates the power of of what the era that we're starting, and who knows how long it takes to actually get here. But the idea that I can start to control control parts of the transaction so in our case the car doesn't turn on the car won't run uh you know or in the case of you know some other piece of technology you know it's crippled in some meaningful way until the contract is satisfied all the way through and so you start to be able to hook in technology to control the elements of the contract not just the contract itself yeah and uh, that's a pretty interesting uh, thing to think about, especially as as everything that really in our lives becomes uh, controllable, which we all know we're headed that direction. And we were talking about the Amazon Echo before we came on the air, and I feel like that's another show we need to do yeah, uh, to talk about that. But <laughs> yeah. if you if we're living in that world already, you know, how do I? Uh, if, I buy something and it's uh, and I want to you know it's not it doesn't do what it's supposed to do until this contract is fulfilled and oh by the way it's software that's running all of that contract as well so it's really just controlling a node on some known network and saying okay node you can now turn on because yeah. all of these things are satisfied and if there's a dispute I'm going to turn it back off until the dispute's resolved 
Mm-hmm. And right now, you and I would have to go to court and maybe I run away with the car or you run away with the car and your check was bad. Yeah. And I've got no way to – I effectively have no way to enforce it other than hoping – the police catch you and haul you back into court. But if <laughs> exactly. the car doesn't run, it does you no good to try and take my, you know, take my car and, and run away without paying me. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Oh, so, yeah. So, anyway, so interest, really interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it highlights what, what you kind of in the developed world, I would argue, take for granted. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, but it's still overly complex. Even oh, in the sure. developed world, you yeah. still there's still a lot of humans involved. Yeah, there's a lot of benefit to be had yeah. in the developed world. True, but and yeah. and that's how you know some of this will will get you know will roll into reality. But the the ultimate benefit benefit and the ultimate goal here is to essentially lift uh, lift people that have no opportunity up into a system where they are. You know they have reasonable assurances, which which will which will change lives. I mean, yeah. it'll be hugely impactful on the world. Fascinating stuff. So yeah. we will put uh, we'll put uh, a link to the Mike Hearn article and also a link to Ethereum's uh, website, so everybody who's listening can check out all of this uh, all the stuff we've been talking about on the show. Uh, that's all I've got. Honors anything before we close out? No, that's all I got. I mean, you know, it's been it's been some time. Apologize for the uh, the long delay, but uh, uh, you know, I think we'll 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 talk when there's something compelling, and this to yeah. me is compelling. Absolutely, great stuff. Yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on three fifty third. Till then. <laughs>